Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today and for being a part of Grace Church. My name is Bob Bryce. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm, I'm thankful to be with you during these very strange and challenging times in our world and in our country and even inside uh, our own church. Uh, I want to tell you a story. I got a job when I was 14 years old. It's the first job I had, bussing tables at the Country Kitchen restaurant in my hometown of Indianola, Iowa. I worked there for a couple of years, and then I got tired of that, and so then I worked at McDonald's. And then after McDonald's, I worked at a place called the One Stop Sandwich Shop. Uh, that was before I finally decided, you know, it was time for a career change. And, and so there was this place on the south side of Des Moines that made it like 15 minutes away from, from my house. And, and the place is called CD Exchange. And I wanted to work there basically more than anything. Because as a music lover, th this was like the greatest concept, the greatest place, the greatest store I had ever seen. Buying and selling used CDs? What could possibly be better? Well, anyway, I called, I was very persistent. I called like every week to see if they had any job openings. No, 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 no. Well, one week I called and the answer was finally yes. And so I asked, well, how, how do I apply for this? And they said, come in and fill out an application. And you know, I, I, I was almost out of the driveway before the phone call was over. I went up there, filled out the application, and then they scheduled an interview for me with the manager that was going to take place the, the following week. And I was thinking, great. So far, so good. Went to the interview the following week, and the first thing the guy asked me for is a copy of my resume. Resume. I didn't even, after two years of high school French, I still had no idea what that word meant. But whatever it was, I clearly didn't have it. And so he just basically said, well, just why don't you just tell me what kind of work have you done before? What's your work experience? And so I sort of laid out all my winning achievements in the food service business, and he just sort of sat there largely unimpressed. I didn't get the job. I guess I was counting on my love of music and my, I mean, maybe my winning personality uh, and, and my pursuit of the job to be enough to just sort of surpass my lack of actual qualifications. But it just didn't turn out that way. And so what about you? What, what's your experience like this? Because uh, we all have them in one way, shape, or form. Maybe it, was, maybe it was a job that you really wanted and you didn't get. Or, or maybe it was a relationship that you thought would work out a certain way and it didn't work out that way. Or, or maybe you applied for, for a loan or for a program or, or, or something and you got denied. Whatever it is, we've all got some kind of frustration or disappointment like this that happens, you know, at some point in our journey through our lives. And, and this is even more tough, and it's especially frustrating when we feel like we're not only qualified, but that we're the best choice by a long shot. Like, this is not even close. And so sometimes we're counting on it so much, you know, going our way, that we just can't believe it when it doesn't happen. Have you been there? I have. So when you think of, of your life right now, right now in the world that we live in and, and with the challenges that, that you face and that we face together, what are you counting on? What are you counting on right now? What are you counting on to make it through? 
Because the reality is all of us count on something. We all count on something, don't we? And we've been given a real front row seat to this whole idea of counting with this current election process, right? Counting, 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 more counting. I just can't believe how long it's taking to count. And then soon, of course, it'll be recounting and more recounting and more recounting and more recounting, lots of counting. Because that's just the way the world works. In the world, you know, there, there are winners and losers. There's right and wrong and, and right and left and, and, and liberals and conservatives and, and skin colors and age ranges and genders and height and weight and rich and poor and healthy and sick and Starbucks or caribou. You name it. It's an unending list of ways that the systems and the schemes of the world desperately try to, to classify and even rank things, but also people, right? And then to some degree, we all end up, whether we want to or not, counting on those classifications and those characteristics to help us interpret the world around us for, for better or for worse. But this is not something new, but it's also not our only option. What if we could break through the failed frameworks of the world and really find something that we can truly count on? A way that puts all the world's schemes and classifications and rankings to death and brings us into a new life where, where new hearts and new minds are able to see and hear things from a truly out of this world perspective instead. That's my hope for us today. So let's pray together before we dive in. Father, we thank you for bringing us together. Even though right now we're spread apart, and that means not only physically, but we're divided as people as well, deeply divided over all kinds of things. And so, Lord, right now we ask that you, by the power of your Spirit, unite us together to hear a word from you, from your Spirit. Something that transforms our hearts and our minds and our souls and our bodies that we might live differently with a new understanding of who you are and who you've created us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is week three out of four in our Refocus series where we're taking a look at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And now just a reminder here that, that Paul is writing this letter while he's incarcerated in a Roman prison. And so the first week, we talked about how uh, Paul was still somehow able to be full of joy in spite of his, let's say, less than desirable circumstances. And then last week, Pastor Mike talked about humility as a way of life. So today we continue in the letter and we see a specific issue that Paul is addressing, adding things to the gospel. I call it Gospel Plus. Kind of like, you know, remember not that long ago, there used to be, they make an iPhone and then they made another iPhone called an iPhone Plus. Uh, because apparently, you know, the iPhone wasn't quite enough. So there needed to be a bigger screen. that was a plus iPhone and then iPhone Plus. But what's happening here in Paul's situation was that 
every time he would go and preach the gospel message someplace, which remember, the gospel is simply this. Jesus came for us, died for us, and was raised again to new life so that we too, who are found in Jesus and confess him as Lord, are able to have our old sinful selves put to death with, with Christ through his crucifixion and then be raised to new life in his resurrection. This, this great exchange from, from death to new life is something that happens only by faith alone through the grace of God alone in Jesus Christ alone. That is the gospel. There is no gospel plus. Matter of fact, if we add anything to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. And while that might sound obvious to us, trust me, we try to add things to the gospel all of the time. And so did the people that Paul was warning the Philippians about in his letter. Now, this group of people is commonly referred to as the Judaizers. And what they would do is after Paul preached the gospel message somewhere, then they'd basically wait for him to leave. And then they would show up and they would start adding extra things on top, extra things to the gospel. They were trying to make gospel plus. It was kind of like, oh, great. So you've come to faith in Jesus. That's wonderful. But just so you know, there's more to it than that. If you want to be a real Christian, then you're going to need to follow all these other rules, including all these Jewish laws and all these Jewish customs. Otherwise, it just doesn't count. And this kind of thing just continued to infuriate Paul. And he addresses these Judaizers, these folks, in, in several of his letters, most notably in Galatians. You should read that sometime. But the point is that these new congregations that Paul was starting and helping and shaping and supporting, including this one in Philippi, were made up of mostly non-Jewish people or Gentiles, as they're referred to all throughout Scripture. But then these Jewish Christians, Jewish people who recognized and confessed Jesus as Lord, would, would, they would come along and then try to tell people, well, you know, your resume is a little light here. Uh, you don't really quite have the qualifications that you need to be truly loved and accepted by God. But, but don't worry, we've got a plan to take care of that. It's called Gospel Plus. But when it came to the kinds of qualifications and characteristics and the attributes and the, and the performance that these Judaizers, this group of people thought really was what counted, Paul himself had quite the resume. He's got what you would call street cred, I guess. So, so much so that, that his qualifications, Paul's qualifications, are enough to silence any of these folks that are trying to implement the Gospel Plus program. And so I want to take a look in uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start at the second half of verse 4 and, and check out what Paul says about this. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
Now that sounds like a short list, but there's a lot going on there. He pretty much puts it all out there. And the reality here is that from the world's perspective, especially at this particular time that this was written in, this, this is an impressive list of attributes and accolades. And you'll notice that it's, it's so complete that it, it not only talks about characteristics that he can't control, these were not things that he chose, he was just born into them, but it also includes then personal accomplishments that he's worked hard for. So I want to take a look at each of these things so that we can better understand just how qualified Paul actually is in the eyes of the world that he's writing to. So the first thing is that he's got a good pedigree. He's got a good pedigree. His, his parents did all the right things. They set him up for success. They had him circumcised on the eighth day, just like they were supposed to. He was born into the people of Israel who are God's chosen people. But not just that, he was also born into an elite tribe of Israel, Benjamin. So the second thing was that he has automatic social status, just being born into it. He's got social status. And again, while he had no control over this, it was also true that he was born into one of the upper class tribes of Israel called Benjamin. The other one was Judah. Benjamin and Judah were the only two tribes of Israel that remained faithful to the Davidic covenant. The northern 10 tribes of Israel were swallowed up and they turned their back on God and never heard from again. But Benjamin was one of the elite tribes. And so Benjamin had all this land that was surrounding Jerusalem. And so they were very well off as a people. That's where the temple was. They were elite. And furthermore, the tribe of Benjamin was where Israel's first king came from. First king's name Saul. And what was Paul's name before he became a follower of Jesus? That's right, Saul. Even his given name had status. But those were just the things he had no control over. Those were just the, uh, the attributes. Then he starts talking about what he's accomplished, what he's worked for. As a Pharisee, he was uh, a member of a religious elite group. He was a religious expert, a religious expert. He knew the word of God better than most because the Pharisees were the strictest of all the other Jewish groups when it came to knowing and interpreting God's law. They were the experts. And Paul was at the top of his class, so to speak. You know, he did this really well. And so this is not the guy you want to play Bible trivia with, because I promise you, you would not stand a chance. But believe me, I wouldn't stand a chance either. But, but Paul was not only a religious expert, he was also very committed to religious activities. Religious activities. Now, we know a thing or two about religious activities, don't we? He was zealous for God. So much so that before he became a Christian, he persecuted Christians. And he did this without rest because he believed that the people that were called Christians or the way were leading people astray. And he was determined to put a stop to it. That is, until he met the risen Jesus. He was zealous 
for his religious convictions. Finally, not only did he know the rules, he was a rule follower. In other words, he was a very moral person, very moral person that in that regard, he, he studied the rules, he applied those rules to himself, he followed the rules, and then he taught other people how to follow the rules as well. He was pretty much a poster child, a shining example of how all this was supposed to work. And so when he says that he was blameless in regard to the law, it doesn't really mean that, that he never made a mistake or that he was perfect. What he means by that is when he screwed up, he knew exactly what he needed to do in order to make it right, in order to make you know, the right sacrifice, to have his sins forgiven through the sacrificial system and to comply with the laws of Judaism. He knew how to get back on the right track and he had really high morals. Now, this is quite a resume, isn't it? I mean, this guy is obviously quite qualified, more so than any of these Judaizers that were talking anything. So he's kind of saying like, hey, whatever you think, you know, you're kind of a big deal. I'm a bigger deal. And you'll notice when we think about the things on the list, there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with these things. They can all be good, can't they? I mean, it, it's nice to have parents who care for you, who do the best they can for you. There are benefits, inherent benefits, to having social status, even when it's not something that we can control ourselves. We didn't pick it. There's nothing wrong with studying the word of God and, and going to church and having good morals. These all can be perfectly good things in and of themselves. But are they the things? Are they what we should be counting on? When it comes down to it, are these what qualify us for the life that God wants us to live? Do they qualify us for the life that God wants us to live? Take a look at verse 7. Because Paul turns this whole thing on its head. He's just given us his resume. And now listen to this. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So did you catch that? Paul says when it all comes down to it, what really matters, what he can really count on, all of the worldly qualifications and attributes and all of that stuff, all of that pales in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. Not knowing about Jesus or trying to, trying to act like Jesus, but knowing Jesus on a deeply personal level. Knowing that Jesus is a savior, not just any savior, but our Savior, counting on Christ alone for what we cannot accomplish for ourselves, 
no matter how hard we try and no matter what advantages or even disadvantages we have in the world around us. Those things, those attributes, the classifications, even our accolades and our accomplishments are not things that we can count on when it comes to our relationship with God. But it's even more than that. Matter of fact, Paul says that those things are rubbish in comparison. In comparison to knowing Christ, they are rubbish. Now, the word rubbish just kind of softens the blow because the Greek word that Paul uses here is, is actually quite vulgar. And there's kind of some funny stories about early translators that are trying to figure out how they can translate this word and not be offensive. And so there's lots of different words that might show up in your translation. It might say rubbish. It, it might say garbage or something like that. But the truth is that Paul, what he really is saying is that all these other things in comparison to knowing Christ are dung, excrement. In other words, when it comes to what God thinks of you and how much God values you, there's only one thing that we can count on. One thing, Jesus. It's our relationship with Jesus, a, a, a deep, true, real relationship with Jesus that once and for all, puts all the ranking and all the value schemes, all of that goes away. All of that is put to death. And then we're free to become who God has made us to be because knowing Christ frees us to become who he made us to be. Knowing Christ frees us to become who he made us to be. Frees us from letting the world's endless attempts to classify and rank people you know, get in our way and distort our view of who people really are. Who are people? Well, guess what? They're created by God, loved by God, and valued by God. Not just some people, all people. Created, valued by God. But if we're honest, is that truly how we see one another? in this world that is so, div so divided and so full of fear, have we also fallen into this trap of, of counting on precisely the wrong things? Are we spending our time and efforts counting on elections and politicians and, and programs and, and our own perspectives, our own understanding, and, and we're somehow hoping that this all can save us somehow? Because it can't. None of it can. Do we continue to fall into the trap of trying to, to add other things to the gospel? Because when we're really honest with ourselves, I, I think we can admit we have a lot more in common with the Judaizers than we'd like to admit. I mean, think about this. Oh, so you love Jesus. Well, that's great. But there's more to it than that. I mean, that's, we got to, that's nice, but if you really, if you want to be a real Christian, then, you know, you, you're going to need to, to think like me and act like me and vote like me and look like me and believe what I believe and care about the same things I care about and solve problems like I do and see the world like me. Pretty much, I, you know, honestly, the easiest thing would just, if you want to be a real Christian, then you need to be the same as me. And then we're just going to be getting along just fine. But that's not the gospel. 
is it? No, that's just another version of gospel plus, which of course is not the true gospel at all. You see, we often assume that the only way that we can have this mystical thing often called unity is if everything is the same. We want it to be the same. But take a look around you. Take a look at the people around you. If God wanted everything to be the same, it would be the same. It would be boring, but it would be the same. But it isn't. And this is not an accident. This is by design. We have a God who is infinitely creative and his creativity is constantly on display in the diversity that we're often terrified of. The very things that God has given us to show us his power and his creativity and to bring us a fuller expression of who he is, those are the very same things that make us very nervous, very anxious, fearful, and ultimately angry. We start to get angry when people are not the same as we are, or they have a different view, or they look at things differently, or they even look differently. We don't like it. But consider Paul again for just a moment. You know, he, he was a Jew, and he remained a Jew, and he was proud of his Jewish heritage. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But when Jesus got a hold of him, that's when everything about what he counted on changed forever. Because he suddenly understood that God's plan was always much bigger than it just being about him and the people that are like him. Matter of fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible into the book of Genesis and look into Genesis chapter 12, you will see that when God is making promises to Abraham, this idea of expanding the promise bigger and bigger and bigger, not just being about one particular group or one particular person, it's right there. God tells Abraham, you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. Through you, all other families on the earth will be blessed. People will be blessed through you. So in other words, it's not just for you. The gospel continues to expand. Do we know that? Do we trust that? Do we live that way? The gospel continues to break down barriers. The gospel is what brings together the things that divide us. It's the heart of the gospel message itself that brings together what sin continues to try to pull apart. The gospel not only reconciles us to God in a vertical sense, yes, but then we are sent out with that ministry of reconciliation into the world. We become God's ambassadors to the world. And, and so in Christ, there is room for all. All people who call upon him, regardless of how different other people are from us or from one another. That's amazing. As Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, he puts it this way. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. All are one in Christ Jesus. Or in Ephesians, Paul's other letter to Ephesians, in chapter uh, 2, verse 14, he says, For Jesus is our peace. He has made two groups into one, and he's destroyed the barrier, 
the dividing wall of hostility. Now, I don't know about you, but we could sure use a whole lot of that in the world that we live in right now. In all different ways. And as followers of Christ, we no longer need to fall victim to this, these schemes of the world that, that try to classify uh, people and things into categories and then to value or devalue people accordingly. We've got to run away from this. We've got to run away from this and run to Jesus. Because when we know Christ and when we treasure him above all else, that's when we are finally and completely free to live our lives knowing that unity is not sameness. It's shamelessness. Unity is not sameness. It's shamelessness. The gospel doesn't make everything the same. It frees us from being overly concerned that it isn't the same. It frees us to recognize and to appreciate people who are different than us. And to recognize that those people that are different than us, that either look different than us or talk different than us or think different than us or have different political opinions than us, vote differently than us, all of these people are a fuller expression of God himself. If we understand how valued people are and, and how they too are just like we are in terms of being created by God, then we start to realize, well, there is no us and them. There's only us. There's only us. Creation itself gives us this glimpse into God's character. And so instead of demanding that, that everyone be the same or, or <laughs> everyone be like me, what if we just stopped shaming each other for being different? What if we just said we're not going to do that anymore? What if we embraced what it means to know Christ so much so that we realized, wow, no longer do I have to be ashamed. I don't have to put anyone else to shame. Because in the book of Acts chapter 17, God says that we were all created from one blood. And guess what? It's one blood that saves us, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what rescues us, redeems us, and saves all who call upon his name. All, not some, but all who call upon his name. Would that change how we treat and think of one another? If we set aside all of our qualifications, all of our attributes, all of our accolades and accomplishments, and instead we just refocused ourselves on the surpassing, reconciling, and unifying love of Jesus Christ, would that change things? Because I believe that has the power to change the world. Now is not the time for Christians to bury their heads in the sand. You do not think that this is by accident that we're in this situation, do you? God is very much at work. And in the midst of all of the division, he is expecting his people to say something. But what are we saying? This is not the time for us to just sort of mind our own business and hide inside of our churches. As ambassadors, 
of God's reconciliation, the reconciliation made possible through Christ, then we've got to get involved in God's business. Not so that we can try to drive people toward being the same and be like me and you're not a real Christian unless you blah, 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 blah. But to free people, to be shameless in terms of understanding they no longer need to be ashamed in their relationship with God. We give them the love of God by telling them who Jesus is. And then we live our lives with one another in a way that's making Christ more and more known and recognizing that it is him alone who is big and powerful enough to swallow up all of the anger and the frustration and the division that is tearing us apart. We have got to reach out to others with the faith that we've been given, not with the fear continues to hold the world hostage. We've got to follow Jesus all the way, even when it means going as far as laying down our comforts and conveniences in order to pick up a cross and follow him. To have conversations with people that we don't even understand and to listen to the pain and to the hurt of others with empathy, not apathy. And then to stand up and to be willing to truly bear one another's burdens. It's only by knowing Christ that we can finally recognize others, not as enemies, but as expressions of God's infinite creativity. So in a world that is absolutely chock full of struggle, welcome to 2020, what are you truly counting on right now? What are you counting on? Is it Jesus or is it Jesus plus? Jesus plus what? Maybe Jesus plus your own perspective, Jesus plus your own worldview, Jesus plus your own ideas of the way that everybody should think and everybody should do things. Or is it just Jesus? Are you, are you counting on your accomplishments or are you counting on God's accomplishments through Christ alone? My prayer is that we come to understand the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as our Lord right now more than ever before. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.